Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EVN Disrupt podcast. My name is Nejdet Zatergen. I'm the editor of the creative tech section here at EVN Report. My guest today was Hovakim Zakarian, the co-founder and CEO of DeNovo Sciences, a company using reinforcement learning for drug discovery. We spoke about the process from drug discovery to production of drugs and how AI tools are making the process faster and more efficient. Hovakim also shared with us his thoughts on Armenia's small but growing biotech scene and why it should be an area of strategic investment for the country. Thank you for listening. Hovakim, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's start with a little bit of your background. Tell us where you studied and what you got your studies in. Yeah, thank you. So I'm graduated from Yerevan State University from Faculty of Biology. And then I did my PhD in 2013 in the Institute of Molecular Biology, which belongs to the National Academy of Sciences. Then since 2016, I run my own research group, and now it becomes to laboratory, laboratory of antiviral drug discovery. It consists of six people, including me, young researchers, PhD students, undergraduate and graduate students, and also senior researchers in the team. So my background is in virology. I'm a virologist. I did my PhD in virology, and then also I did short postdoc research abroad in Germany and in Spain, where I was trained to modern techniques in laboratory. And then, of course, I successfully implemented and now also doing and implementing the same methods that I learned abroad now in my laboratory. And right now, I also co-founded Denovo Sciences, which is a deep tech company. And what we are doing in the company, we are trying to find new drugs, design new drugs using uh, artificial intelligence. So this is a quite hot topic right now because there are more than 700 companies trying to use artificial intelligence in drug discovery process. Mm -hmm. So we are one of them. Right. Before we dive deeper into de novo, I want to speak more generally about drug discovery, both computational drug discovery and how drug discovery was done traditionally. Before the recent advancements in machine learning that brought computational drug discovery to really a, a new level, what was the procedure for designing and developing new drugs? Well, it's quite a long process. I mean, starting from the laboratory until uh, reaching to the market, it may take more than 10 years. And also it's quite expensive. Right now, it costs more than $2 billion to have new drug on the market. And if you look at the process, you see that a lot of failures may arise during each step of that process. And this is the main reason why big pharma companies are always looking now for new methods that they can implement, that they can actively involved in the process in order to increase the success rate. Mm -hmm. Because old or, let's say, classical approaches that they use, unfortunately, they cannot find new chemical structures, new drug candidates using old classical approaches. The chemical space is limited. I mean, it's quite huge, of course, but the method that allows us to explore that chemical space, they are like old tools and you cannot explore more distance in the chemical space, go faster, 
go deeper using these old methods. And therefore, they need new methods. And of course, machine learning is one of that methods that allows them to explore chemical space faster and more successfully than previously. So is the primary add that the technology brings is the iteration speed for testing the... It's speed, of course. And um, cost, I guess. And of course, cost. Because if you can do something faster, you don't need to spend, let's say, two, three years. You can spend only two, three months and get the same results. Of course, it means that also you spend less than previously. But the problem of classical AI approaches that we have right now, that if you know how machine learning works, it requires training datasets. You know, the best example is ChatGPT. It has been trained on billion and billion datasets. And unfortunately, in medicine or in pharma, you don't have this big and high-quality datasets to train your machine learning algorithms. Therefore, the application of ML is quite limited. There are several topics, there are several fields where you can still use it, and you can use it successfully, like cancer, where you have a lot of data points, and you can feed your algorithms by that data points. But unfortunately, also there are a lot of diseases, and I will say the majority of diseases, they don't have any data, or little data you have. So you cannot use this classical ML approaches there. And I think this is also the main reason why we started to use one subtype of ML called reinforcement learning. So, and the big contrast or the big difference between reinforcement learning and other classical ML approaches is that it doesn't require training data sets. It right. learns, but it learns on environment. It learns on interaction with the environment. And in this scope, it means that you can work with any targets of your interest with any disease, even with rare diseases where you don't have any data sets. And uh, more and more companies right now, they switch from classical approaches to reinforcement learning. And when we began the Novo Sciences, it is in the beginning of 2020, there are only two or three companies besides us uh, using reinforcement learning in their drug discovery process. Right now, the number of that company is probably more than 10 or even 20. And I think after a few years, the number of companies using pure reinforcement learning, we are using, by the way, pure reinforcement learning, uh, will be much higher than now. So, of course, it is more complicated. I mean, at least it requires more computational power right. to train your algorithm compared with these classical AI approaches. But at the same time, it gives you some freedom, some flexibility to work with any disease that you want. Mm -hmm. And in our case, the only thing that we need is not the training data set, is the 3D structure of the target. Explain what the that simulated environment looks like. Because for other reinforcement learning use cases, often we've seen it employed in games and things like that. The reward function in the environment is extremely simple. But for an environment that has to measure the effectiveness of a drug or two compounds, how they would work together, seems far more complicated. So what does that actually look like and what are the reward functions? Actually, for us, the environment is molecular simulations that we successfully integrated into our platform. So molecular simulations, it looks like uh, interaction of your compound with the target of your interest. As I said, you provide just 3D structure of your target. Mm -hmm. You define the binding pocket where your compound should go and bind. And then 
you perform these molecular simulations. We integrated already known molecular simulation tools into our platform. And when our algorithm starts to construct new compounds, let's say it plays like a Lego. Mm -hmm. It adds or removes some atoms or functional groups. And after adding or removing some parts, it puts the ligand into interaction with the target. And after the interaction, it calculates a lot of metrics right now more than 15 metrics uh, to see whether this new ligand or whether this new compound is good one or not. If it is not good, then of course it gets punishment. If it is good, it gets reward. So it looks very simple. <laughs> but of course, behind these simple things, there is a lot of math and data science. And it takes actually a lot of time to learn. But once it learns it does all these actions very quickly. And usually after three or four days, depending on the complexity of your target, of course, it generates thousands of new chemical structures, new chemical entities. And most of them, they have superior characteristics compared with reference compounds that we have. Take us through the process of computational drug discovery from the beginning to end how is the problem even defined at the beginning like what is the question you're trying to answer at the beginning is, is it specific to a specific type of drug that you want to produce for a specific treatment or is it even more general than that at the beginning no, it's more general uh, we wanted to establish some platform working based on machine learning and we quickly realized that existing ml approaches they are very limited because of the lack of this high quality data. And this is the main reason why we switched to reinforcement learning. Right. And we established the platform, which is absolutely target agnostic. So one of our co-founders, Vartan, he loves this word target agnostic, which means that it not focus on any target. You can use this platform for any type of target, even not proteins. You can give RNA which is absolutely another type of macromolecular nucleic acid. And it will continue to perfectly construct new small molecules that can specifically target the RNA structure. We have developed a platform. And after that, we focused on several diseases. Right now, infectious diseases. Why? Because of two reasons. Because of my background and my network. And the second reason is that infectious diseases, it is one of the fields where you don't have a lot of data, which means that our platform could be successfully occupy all these open niches. Mm -hmm. We can be the first one. And of course, we can easily implement our platform using my network, my background, and also the fact that other AI companies that are right now using this reinforcement learning or other subtypes of reinforcement learnings, and they are focusing on other fields, not on infectious diseases. For example, in silicon medicine, which is a big name in the field, they use some parts of reinforcement learning integrated into their bigger platform, but they are focusing on cancer diseases and aging, not infectious diseases. We are focusing on infectious diseases and our ongoing programs, they are actually on discovery of antiviral drugs against several um, different viral infections like dengue, which is very, very hot topic, particularly in South East part of Asia, 
mm-hmm. and we are now partnering with a star agency from Singapore to develop new inhibitors against dengue virus. Currently, there is no vaccine or antiviral drug against this one. And also, we are working uh, with, for example, Siri, which is a research center in Lyon, France. We are trying to design small inhibitors against all human coronaviruses, not only the last one, which is circulating and caused the pandemic recently, but also uh, other human coronaviruses. There are six. The common cold. Yes, exactly. And if you have something against all human coronaviruses, it means that there is high chance that this drug will be also successful against future pandemic coronaviruses. So this is uh, why uh, it is a hot topic right now, even for big pharma companies. Right now we are focusing on infectious diseases and we are planning also to launch two, three more programs on developing inhibitors against bacteria, antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Why? Because our platform allows us to develop small molecules that can simultaneously act on two different proteins, not only against one protein, but you can design in a way that these small molecules interact with two different proteins, which means that this drug candidate will have much higher resistance barrier. Because, you know, the problem of all antibiotics that come to the market, they become useless just after a few years because of resistance mutations that bacteria get. So if you have a drug candidate that work on two different targets, it means that they have resistance barrier much higher than if it acts on only one target. So I hope that we will successfully launch these two other programs and we are looking actively now for new partners with whom we can uh, start the projects. These institutions that you're partnering with, presumably it's so that they can carry out other parts of the pipeline of getting a drug to market, right? After platforms such as yours have identified the potential drug candidates, how does it move on from there to becoming a drug that's used by people? Well, as I said, it takes a lot of time and it also uh, has several uh, steps. Preclinical steps, it means that you do all laboratory researches, including on animal models. And then once you get all these data pointing that your candidate is a good one, that you can go further with this candidate into the clinical stage, then you can start the clinical uh, phases, phase one, phase two, and phase three. Of course, uh, we cannot do uh, all these things alone without partners. And to be honest, uh, if you want to start phase one, phase two, or phase three, uh, you need also some big partners, like um, big pharma companies that uh, can bring not only funds, but also their huge experience of organizing these clinical phases. So right now we are partnering with Siri from France, Lyon, and with A-Star Agency in order to complete our experience and bring our candidates into preclinical stage. Mm-hmm. Once we finalize it, then of course we will look further and f- try to find uh, more partners, probably from big pharma or big biotech companies uh, that are interested to take these candidates into the next stage. So our business model actually it is based on developing our own portfolio, IPs, and then we can sell the IPs. We can. When you license. say IPs, what do you mean? 
intellectual properties I mean generated like the- during our R&D programs. In this case, of course, IPs, it is IPs of uh, drug candidates. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Right. So, the so drug you have drug candidates, you have their IPs, and then you can license or sell the IP into big pharma or other biotech companies mm-hmm. that are interested to advance this uh, drug candidate into next stage. Um, so this is very common strategy for most of biotech or deep tech companies doing drug discovery right, right now. And uh, But this is in long-term perspective because it takes time at yeah. least of two, three, or even more years until you come to that point. For short-time perspective, we also provide service. I mean, if uh, you are from big pharma company and you are interested to develop some drug candidates by using our platform, we can do that for you, of course, based on upfront and milestone uh, payments. Mm-hmm. You pay us, we um, create design small molecules we transfer all this exclusive data to you and we don't have any ip there right right before something becomes a drug candidate so there's the computational piece which you laid out after then is there like analysis and testing done in in wet labs before it's sent off to the big pharma companies yes of course of course this is uh this is preclinical stage when you perform a lot of wet lab experiments including also some experiments, some important experiments on animal models. Mm -hmm. I mean, you start from computational experiments. You calculate a lot of properties. You see the interaction with the target protein, stability, et cetera, et cetera. Then you switch to laboratory experiments. You perform some in vitro experiments using cell culture models. And then if you are successful, you go to the next step, testing your compounds on animal models. Mm After that, you can claim that it is safe enough. It is therapeutically active enough on animal models. So you have all these data. And now you can go to the next step, which uh, requires involvement of human beings into f- clinical phase one right. experiments. Right. Yeah. Kind of, the wet lab part is also done through partners. So startups such as... But Not in all cases. We, we also do some uh, laboratory experiments using my laboratory, right. the Institute of Molecular Biology. Yeah. Yeah. So this might be the most interdisciplinary topic we've covered so far on the podcast. So it, it opens up a lot of interesting avenues for the conversation. One thing I'm interested in is there's still a small but you know really interesting growing biotech ecosystem in Armenia. It seems like there's a a fair amount of expertise now on the computational side. Uh, There's startups such as yours and others. On the wet lab side, since you're involved in both worlds as a biologist yourself, what needs to be done or what's being done in order to make sure that side of the ecosystem is keeping up with the advancements on on the tech side? Well, I think uh, the advances that we may have in the tech side, it should be associated with the research that we have in the institutes, I mean, in academia, uh, in universities or academic institutes, doesn't matter. I mean, uh, the Nova Sciences is one exceptional case because it is not classical spin-off from research organization. But if you look at the environment, if you look at the system, for example, in other developed countries like Israel, France, etc., you see that most of biotech startups or deep tech startups, they usually come from research universities or research centers as spin-off organizations, as spin-off companies. So in our case, problem that we have is that the number of laboratories that are doing high-quality science is quite, quite low. So we need to increase the number of scientists that we have in Armenia. 
doing active science, doing high quality science, which is very important. You may have thousands and thousands of scientists claiming that they are doing science, but they are doing absolutely useless science right. because there is no quality. Right. So you should be sure that you are doing science at high level. So otherwise you cannot compete with other startups or other biotech companies. Mm -hmm. So how you can do that? Of course, by increasing the funds, uh, increasing the scientific budget that you have and um, also making some environment which could be very attractive for scientists abroad. I mean, and not only uh, scientists with Armenian origins, but also um, a lot of other scientists that are looking for more suitable countries to continue their scientific work. We have Iran, we have Arabic countries, we have now Russia, Belarus, where people uh, have some problems and they are always looking for other countries where they can continue their scientific work. And Armenia can be one of that place where they can come and continue their research. And we need to have some tools that will allow us to attract these people. And I think if we want to have startups, if we want to have these deep tech companies here, first we need to start from establishing new laboratories, doesn't matter in universities or in academic research institutes, but new laboratories that are doing high-quality science. This is what we are missing right now. We have just a few laboratories in any field. I mean, if you look at biotech field or life sciences in general, I think uh, there are just probably six or seven laboratories doing high-quality science, Yeah, uh, and it's not enough. Right. I mean, the number of uh, laboratories should be at least 30, 40 or more if you expect to get something as a spin-off right. from that labs. And with the burgeoning tech scene, it's a good opportunity as well for those more of those kinds of labs to exist because there's opportunities to collaborate with industry, right? Yeah. Make the case for us for why biotech should be important to Armenia. Because one of the things that's often spoken about is that the pipeline to driving value from investments in biotech is quite long because it's hard to do. Why is this something that the country should be investing in, that the country should be focused on? Well, I think it doesn't matter if it's Armenia, Georgia, or some other countries. Biotech is important field because if you have biotech, it means you have better health care system. If you have biotech, it means that you have a modern economy because you can produce new things that doesn't require, for example, a lot of efforts to transport it. In case of Armenia, it is very essential. I mean, you can produce small drugs, which is very easy to transport, even mm -hmm. by plane. And it doesn't matter how much will be the shipping cost. Usually, it doesn't impact a lot on the final cost of drug. Right. So producing such things where uh, you may have high margin, Usually, high margins you have uh, in very specific fields like biotech. So biotech is a high margin field. Of course, I of course, yeah. yes, absolutely. I mean, um, the cost of uh, just I will bring one example: HIV drugs, drugs against human immunodeficiency virus. I mean, their cost, uh, the cost of um, let's say one treatment, uh, it could be up to two or three hundred dollar. Mm -hmm. The cost, real cost. But usually the treatment, uh, when you go to the hospital, the annual treatment may reach up to twenty twenty-five thousand dollars And of course, in the United States, your insurance will cover all these expenses. Right. And there is huge margin. 
and everything in biotech, it has huge margin. So therefore, I think this is a very specific place for Armenia because you don't have other fields here that can provide products with high margin. Mm-hmm. Biotech, it is one of the fields. But at the same time, biotech also requires a lot of investment from the beginning. I mean, you cannot have good biotech without investment in the human capital. Mm-hmm. You cannot have biotech with the thousands of high-quality researchers. And of course, it also requires time, as you said. Yeah. Uh, you cannot make investment today and wait some good result just after one or two years. You need to wait a lot of time. And also, you should be prepared to see also some failures. Right. I mean, Armenians, they don't like failures. <laughs> they don't like this process. They think that if they make investment, then it should be successful. Not in all cases, of right. course. Right. Uh, and biotech, it is one of that fields that where we can do a lot of things. We can produce a lot of things. Uh, but at the same time, we need to do a lot of efforts to come to that point. That's really interesting. Do we have any positive examples of small ecosystems, biotech ecosystems from smaller countries that have been able to produce some really high-value drug and export it to the world? Sure. The best example is Slovenia. Slovenia is a small country with population less than in Armenia. Of course, with much better location than Armenia. It is right in the center of Europe. But uh, anyway, Slovenia, if you look at their GDP and if you look at the, the structure of their economy, you will see that a big part of the GDP, it comes from biotech and particularly from pharma industry. Really? For a small Slovenia. Another example is Estonia. So Estonia, they have also very good biotech field, uh, bioinformatics, mm-hmm. and a lot of innovations there, not only in biotech, but in general. And Estonia is the second example where biotech and investment in the biotech, it, uh, it really... Uh, results in a good economic changes in the country. Mm-hmm. But the Slovenia is the best example. Another example is Switzerland. Everybody thinks that Switzerland is the hotspot or the best place the for banking. chocolate and bank uh, and so on. But uh, about probably 40% or 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 similar to that, uh, GDP of Switzerland, uh, it is based on biotech and pharma. Wow. Yeah, big pharma companies like Novartis, they are coming from Switzerland. I don't know. And uh, small cities like uh, like Lausanne, Bern, Genève, uh, they have a lot of biotech companies, big pharma companies located there, and they are producing a lot of pharmaceuticals. Hmm. Rocher, Novartis, even German-based Bayer, they are there. So a lot of biotech companies. Um, why? Uh, again, because of environment, because they have also very good university system there. But m- first of all, because they have a lot of laboratories uh, doing high quality science in Switzerland. And government investment. And when those. you are saying Switzerland, doesn't matter if it's cheese, chocolate or bank, it is usually associated with high quality. Right. The same for science. If you are saying science in Switzerland, it means high quality science. Right. This is the main reason why Big Pharma is going there. Not coming to Armenia, but going to Switzerland. And uh, if you have here high quality science, then you will have also pharma here. You will have also biotech companies here. 
It's so interesting how that the national reputation and narrative around a country really dictates so much of that. Yeah. Another thing that sort of became apparent as you were sort of laying that out is from an economic perspective, having the full industry in any country, like from the design, from the experimentation and the manufacturing, touches so many different parts of the economy. So the, the amount of opportunity created is probably much, much greater as well. Let's talk about applications of machine learning in biology a little bit more more generally. Um, we saw a, a, a huge breakthrough with AlphaFold uh, a few years ago at this point, and it's been, uh, it's been a part of bio-research moving forward. How do you see machine learning applications in, in biology research right now and, and moving forward? What are the trends that you're, you're seeing? Well, I think machine learning is widely used now in three different fields in um, biology. It is prediction of structures, like in case of AlphaFold you mentioned, Another one, it is in bioinformatics, trying to predict, for example, new uh, patterns in gene expressions or new targets in this proteomics in or, or in all types of omics. And this is where also machine learning is heavily um, utilized now. And the third and probably the most popular field is drug design, drug development. So... Unfortunately, uh, here in Armenia, we see that probably two, three laboratories are right now using machine learning in life sciences. Uh, maybe the reason because it is too much complicated, but also the second reason that data scientists usually, or or any 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 scientist, <laughs> they usually do not interact a lot with other yeah. scientists from from different disciplines. So this is this is a big problem here in Armenia. I mean, the number of scientists, active scientists here, is very low. Yeah. Uh, probably we have a few hundred very active scientists, and unfortunately, the interaction between them is at very low level. So this is the problem because actually the major breakthroughs are coming from convergence of these fields. Right. Example of uh, AlphaFold, it is the best example because there are a lot of data scientists, biologists, chemists that came together and they solved the problem together. So, so uh, if we want to have fantastic, outstanding results, doesn't matter in which field, we need to bring together different scientists from different disciplines. And this is the main reason why I always um, spoke about providing grants for for interdisciplinary research. research. Uh, so I hope that state committee of sciences that we have, so the, the main uh, body that provides grants here, uh, will start to do that. I mean, providing big grants for, uh, for multidisciplinary researches. Mm -hmm. And probably after that, we'll have some um, synergy, uh, natural synergy, and and this may result in some new companies also. Right. But right now, the problem is that uh, people here are not interacting to each other. They are not very open for collaborations, and we need to change it. And as well as we need to increase the number of active scientists that are doing high-quality science, and one of the ways is just to attract people from uh, outside. On the topic of um, encouraging more interdisciplinary research, do you think the primary thing is simply providing more funding and grants for interdisciplinary research, or is there a cultural thing within Armenian academia that 
that needs to change as well? I think both, but usually money solves money many solves problems. <laughs> <laughs> well so, said. I mean, if you are providing yeah. big grants and the mandatory uh, rule should be the interaction and uh, multidisciplinary topic, then people will look around to find people similar to them with whom they can interact. I mean, this is the same way how also people in European Union are doing. I mean, Horizon 2020 or other big grants, usually they like multidisciplinary topics. And we need just to try to do something similar yeah. here. Especially in the fields of, in a field like machine learning, I mean, the, the reason why we want we want machine learning to move forward is to solve some of these big problems that we face in the world. And those problems are usually outside of the scope of computer so science. Machine learning so. becomes popular just in the last 10 years because, yeah. because people are using now machine learning in different disciplines. Yeah, exactly. So they are implementing this tool in, in, in medicine, in, I don't know, in uh, art, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, machine learning uh, is something that arose in 1950s and uh, people never think about machine learning. They know that it is some subtype of math, applied mathematics, and that's all. And once we got very good computers that allows us to make very complex computational calculations, then machine learning become popular. Because now you can use it in medicine, in art, in, in video, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. On its own, it's not very interesting. Yeah. And yeah. this is example where you use one tool from math in absolutely another field. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Hovakim, our last question. Uh, where do you hope to see de novo in, in five to 10 years? Well, we have to have preclinical candidates and then clinical candidates in the next two, three years. And I think if we get enough funding, I mean, we are right now uh, raising our second seed investment fund, investment round. We hope to have uh, drugs in the market after probably five, six years. So uh, I hope also at the same time that uh, we will be a good example for others here in Armenia. At the same time, I hope that uh, we can um, bring some new disciplines also. For example, we are partnering with American University in Armenia trying to, to launch chemoinformatics, computational chemistry here. And I hope that we can teach a lot of people to computational chemistry, computational biology, and even if we don't do that, it will be enough saying that we do good things. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I wish you a lot of luck with that. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.